Welcome to the Forager Podcast, where I talk with cottage food businesses about their strategies for running a food business from home. I'm David Crable, and today I'm talking with Lisa Patrizzi Geller. Lisa lives in Berkeley, Massachusetts, and sells cake pops and other custom decorated desserts with her cottage food business, Pop Culture. The story of how Lisa started this business is quite unique and involves her recovery from breast cancer. Although she started with cake pops, today she actually sells many different and creative items. Lisa is licensed as a residential kitchen in Massachusetts. That's what they call their cottage food businesses. And it's actually relatively difficult to set up a residential kitchen. I know because I actually looked into setting one up myself when I lived there a few years ago. But because of that, there aren't that many legal home food businesses in her state, at least that I'm aware of. And I do know that there are a number of people currently trying to improve the laws there and make it easier to use. But I am looking forward to getting the inside scoop about what it's like to run a residential kitchen in Massachusetts. And with that, welcome to the show, Lisa. Nice to have you here. Thank you for having me. So, Lisa, can you take us back to 2013 and just take us through the story about how this all got started? Sure. So back in two, May of 2012, I had gone for my um, my 10-year checkup for breast cancer. I had had it 10 years previous, and it was discovered it had returned. And from there, I had to go through five months of chemo and then a couple of uh, months of radiation, which led me into 2013. And between radiation after radiation, I had to wait six months to have a double mastectomy. And it was in that time period, I started playing around with making cake pops. So I just started playing around. I saw them on the internet. It was kind of like therapy for me. And I had a bunch of extra treats, cake pops, Rice Krispie treats and stuff. And I sent them into shop class with my middle son, Dominic. And he came home that afternoon and informed me he made $10. And he he was selling my treats to the other kids in his plumbing shop class. So anyways, I started posting my little creations on Facebook and I was still out of work at the time and friends and family started ordering because they knew my situation. But what happened was it started to snowball and their friends and family started ordering some of the custom treats as well. So after my surgery in the fall, after I recovered in 2014, I said, well, let me see if I can make this into something. I did start back with my real estate career. And in the meantime, I started doing um, the cake pops and a few other treats. And I started doing vendor shows, craft shows, just to test the waters. And from there, I was like, okay, I, you know, it seemed to be going well. I said, I better get this, make this all legal. So I went and applied for my business license through the town. I did my syrup safe and allergen certificates, and I had to apply for the um, Board of Health to come in and inspect my kitchen. So they did come, and I got inspected, and I was completely terrified, but it went very well. The inspector at that time was very, very tough, but he was very informative. And from there, I um, purchased my liability insurance, and I just kind of hit the ground running. Here I am a few years later, I stopped doing real estate and I do custom orders. And I did, previous to COVID, I did do lots of vendor shows, craft shows, including the big Christmas festival that was held in Boston. I did that for two years in a row. And that's how I would get new customers, corporate orders, and just get my name out there and be able to sell my, my treats right off the table. Great. Yeah. So um, I do want to get into the next steps of your business, but I do want to go back just for a moment to the origin story and your bout with breast cancer. And I was just wondering if, if you think this business would exist if you hadn't been diagnosed with breast cancer. I don't think so. I don't think so. I always made stuff for my kids when they were little like I was the mom that brought in brownies and you know but nothing nothing fancy so I always had an interest in that as a matter of fact earlier in 2013 I did take some cake decorating courses through Michael's just to learn the ins and outs of it so it was something that I always was interested in but I would never have thought in a million years that I'd be doing what I'm doing now making three-tier cakes and 
decorative cake pops and some of the other treats, cookies and everything that I that I do make. Hmm, that's interesting. But um, yeah, to to move forward with your your business, I know you you went into getting licensed and inspected, and I did want to talk about that. You said your inspector was a bit tough. Can you talk about what it was like to go through the process of getting permitted as a residential kitchen in Massachusetts? Oh, sure. Um, I really read through as much as I could find online about the cottage food industry. Like your dishwasher has to either have a sanitizing button or it has to um, get to so many degrees. I believe it's 160 or 180. I can't remember off the top of my head. I know mine had a sanitation button. Everything in your business, it has to be in located in your kitchen. As a matter of fact, when he had come, I actually had like a jumbo muffin tin over in the back of my living room. I was going to make muffins for my kids. And he wrote me up on it saying that needs to be in your kitchen. I'm like, but I don't make muffins. And he said that a bakeware needs to be in the kitchen. So he was, he was very, made sure everything was where it's supposed to be. Had to have a, a separate shelf in my refrigerator dedicated just to pop culture or any products that I use, say like eggs or whipping cream, anything like that. I had to have my bathroom set up with hand wipes, hand, like paper towels, and a sign that says, please wash your hands. And I didn't understand why. This is my home. I'm not, I don't have people coming in to my home like a restaurant or employees. But he said, no, that is required. He didn't want me having a hand towel in there anymore. Also, you had to have all your baking um, utensils that you use for your business separate from your house. Same with your ingredients. So I do have a pantry and everything is either in containers or I have a certain part of my shelf area that is reserved just for pop culture. So then when he came in, he went through all that, made sure like everything was clean and Checked. I had to put thermometers in my refrigerator to make sure that everything's at the right temperature. Check my microwave. You need gloves. I had to have, uh, so I have to have food safe gloves. You have to have a sanitizer to spray everything down that has to reach a certain alkaline. You have little strips to check that. And no sponges. Can't use sponges. Um, you have to use the handy wipes to clean any of your utensils or anything that you, you know, that needs to be washed. A lot of it's just common sense, but some of it was kind of eye-opening. And I think the more you read about it, the more, I guess, aware of what really goes on behind a restaurant you become. Yeah, no, it sounds pretty similar to what commercial kitchens go through. And I should just clarify that Massachusetts law is like dates back 20 years ago from 2000. And that's before the whole kind of modern cottage food law era so their law really reflects what a typical commercial food service establishment would have to go through. But what's kind of amazing to me is that even though you have to jump through all these hoops to get yourself set up, you're still totally limited in what you can make, right? Yes, we cannot make anything that's not shelf stable. So I can't use cut fruit, no whipped cream, no custards no cheesecakes. Yeah, I I think that's really unfortunate because if you're going to go through all these hoops and that actually happens in other states, but usually they let you at least make a cheesecake or something like at least make you let you make something that's refrigerated. Um, Hopefully Massachusetts will make some adjustments. I know that Boston doesn't even allow them at all, like the whole city. As a matter, I was just going to say that I know a lot of towns that don't. Attleboro doesn't. I had a friend that lived in Attleboro and she couldn't work out of her house. And I think a lot of the cities, I think Taunton doesn't allow it either. But I, I'm not 100%, but I heard that before. Yeah, I don't know. I just know there's not a lot of people who pop up in the residential kitchen space in Massachusetts. I know there aren't too many people who are actually using the law. And I do know, like I said, there are uh, a few people who are pretty actively working this year on trying to make improvements to the law. So I don't know if that'll go through this year, but I do know that it's a known issue and it needs to be improved. So hopefully those changes will come sooner than later. I don't know if you know too that it's different for each town as well. Each town kind of can override what the state has put into place. 
I get inspected every six months, but I have friends who only got inspected once a year. And I know other people that they were like one and done and they never got bothered again. Yeah, I did actually know that because, as I said, I lived in Massachusetts and it was like you need to talk to your local health inspector. They're the ones that kind of make <laughs> make up the rules. And now when people ask me and they reach out from Massachusetts, I'm like, I wish I could tell you exactly what you need to do, but you really have to contact your local health inspector. And if you can't get a hold of them, then you can operate under the table, I guess. But that that's really the only way. Anyway, it sounds like it's been working well for you. And what has it taken for you specifically to maintain your residential kitchen? You know, you went through this complicated setup process, but what's it like on a yearly basis to keep it running? Yeah. So like I said, I usually get inspected twice a year. And every year in December, I have my permit fee. So in Berkeley, I have my food permit fee, and then I have a, a milk and egg fee which totals to $200 a year for me. I've never heard of a milk and egg fee. Uh, Don't ask me. (laughs) I have no idea. I know. Oh, and a new one they started in 2018, maybe. I have to have my water inspected because I have well water. So once a year, I have to have that done. And that usually runs between $180 and $200 as well. Yeah, now that is actually pretty standard across the board. And again, I'm the only one of all my friends I know who had to do it. Hmm. Well, it might not be built into Massachusetts law, but it is built into a lot of laws where if you're on a private water source, then you have to get it checked for E. coli and all that stuff. But anyway, I'm glad you're keeping it and making it work. And yeah, let's talk a little bit about your business itself and can you talk a little bit about what you make what kinds of items you make or what your business looks like today sure so as i stated i started off with cake pops and then i branched out into other chocolate treats i do a lot of chocolate covered oreos rice crispy treats twinkies devil dogs chocolate covered pretzels then i started doing cakes uh the way i started doing cakes somebody asked me to make a cake and i told them no And then they were like, yes, I need you to do the cake. My first cake, I think it took me three days to frost it because I was a nervous wreck. I had to do it for a um, 60th wedding anniversary. And I was copying their their, um, wedding cake from a picture from 60 years prior. So um, that's a lot of pressure. Oh, my God, I was a wreck. But I did it. So I do do the cakes now. Not so much for the wedding industry. I do do some wedding cakes. But mostly like birthday cakes and celebration cakes. This year, the big hot item for the holidays was hot cocoa bombs. I just added it up between September and December. I did over 3000 hot cocoa bombs out of this house. Oh my gosh. I can't tell you how many cocoa bombs I've seen on Facebook in the last whatever. It just exploded. It did. No no pun intended. Yeah. Can can you think about just, I know you're called pop culture, but like how much of your business is cake pops? How much of it is cakes or cookies or, you know? I I can't even answer that, to be honest. I um, really just started keeping track of that back in October. I just launched my website. So that helps me a lot now, keeping track of what is being ordered. So I really... I have to admit, I've been bad at keeping track of that. that. Even when I do my vendor shows, I've always kept track of my inventory of what I've brought and what I sold, but I never kept track of what it was yearly. I think because it's always just been kept going, kept going, kept going. So I never really put it down into an Excel spreadsheet. Shame on me. You said you just started this website. And maybe that's in response to the pandemic, but for the vast majority of your business, you haven't been taking orders through your website. And I was just wondering what was your process like before that for taking orders and invoicing them? Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. Most of my orders came in through my Facebook page. People would message me. They would usually send me a 50% deposit through PayPal, or they would mail me a check or drop the money off and or Square. 
and then pay the balance before they picked up. Some people would just pay for the whole thing up front. It really depended on their um, what they wanted to do. But I usually, for a custom order, require 50% deposit. I do ask people now to order two to three weeks in advance, especially if it's a cake or custom cookies, because those do take time to plan out. And it does depend on the time of year, of course, because the holidays are always busier. So they, they would do that. It was mostly Facebook, some Instagram, but most of my business comes from Facebook or they would call me. Again, like I said, before COVID, I did a lot of vendor shows. I used to do a lot of the you know local craft shows, but I also mm-hmm. was very involved in the Irish step dancing competitions. Mm-hmm. I was one of the vendors there. How I got into those was my niece started doing Irish step dancing and her first sesh I went to and I was like, oh my gosh, I should be a vendor here. All the other vendors were people who were doing the wigs and the shoes and the costumes or the earrings. But here I came and I made cake pops that looked like Irish step dancers, Oreos that, you know, had shamrocks on them and all kinds of other treats. So I'd have a table full of treats that the kids love. They would, after they had their competition, they would come and get treats. So it really worked out well. The sessions are a great experience. I really enjoyed doing them. I miss them. Yeah, I did see that you've done a lot of themed things like housewarming themes or real estate themes or baby special delivery themes. And I didn't even see this Irish theme, but it seems like you do a lot of that. Is that just because you find it fun or is it to expand business? Like what's the, uh, is that, is that all your creation? Is that what customers ask for? It's probably a little bit of both. So I do deal with a lot of um, real estate agents and mortgage brokers who do client gifts. So I'll do gift sets for their clients when they have a closing um, with the Irish step dancers. Yes, I would do items on the table that would gear towards the Irish step community. But a lot of times their feshes were near holidays too. So if it was Mother's Day or Father's Day, I would have treats on the table for that or teacher appreciation, Valentine's Day. So a lot of the families loved coming there because they would load up on Oreo gift sets and give them out to anybody that they needed, you know, gifts for. Yeah. And you also, as you said, you've done so many pop-up events and I've seen that on your Instagram feed. But if you think back to like maybe five, six years ago, what it was like to run those events and now you do them, you know, I I know you haven't done them this year that much because of the pandemic, but just what have you learned over time? Uh, how have, have those changed? And are there any tips that you know now that you wish you had known five years ago? Well, my table has definitely morphed over time. And if you're doing the same events, you start to know the clientele and what to bring. I would always look back to see, oh, geez, that didn't sell. So I'm not going to bring that. Or, oh, I remember they really enjoyed that treat you know, that is a good product for them. Like chocolate covered marshmallows. People love them because kids love marshmallows. It's a great treat. And also there's so many gluten-free people. So I would try to do the big uh, jumbo chocolate covered marshmallows on a stick. So it kind of covered a few bases, a few, you know, what they, you know, what the clients wanted or needed. Um, Will you go to like the first day of an event and see what works well and then shift the next day or next two days based on the first day? No, because by then everything's made for the whole, if it was a two or three day event, then everything's already made because different craft shows, say like the local one in Berkeley at the community school, you're there early, seven, eight o'clock. You set up usually out by three, four o'clock by the time you break down. But there's been times where I've sold out. I I had no idea. First time doing an event. I sold, you know, a certain event I sold out. I had like four pretzels left and I had an event the next day. And that night I was up all night making treats for the next event. But that hasn't happened too often. Now, what has been the largest event you've done? Is it the Boston Christmas Festival? Oh, yes, by far. Like, what's the size of that event? Oh, I think there was about 350 vendors. It used to take place at the World Trade Center in Boston at um, 
I want to say 30, 40,000 people would go through in three days. That was a great show. I loved that show. And I got a lot of business out of that as well. You mean like recurring business? Yes. After that show, I've had people order the past couple of years or at least put an order in after the show for some of their business needs, personal needs. So it was all, it was a very good event for contacts and just for the general sales. I was always, I was, and it grew. The first year I had the smallest booth. The next year I invested in the larger booth, which was uh, much better. What was the pricing for the booths? Probably about a thousand dollars. I think the, the smaller booth I want to say was, 650 or 750 sticking in my head. And then I think the larger booth was a thousand or 1100. But then you also had to purchase, you had to rent the backdrop, which I think the first year I did all three sides. And I think that was like $180. Then the second year I just did the back and um, I think it was $60. Then you also had to pay for parking, which was 20 to $30 a day. And can you remember about what revenue you were doing from your sales on those days? Saturday was always the best day, both years. The first year, my gross sales before expenses was, I want to, I'm saying, I'm thinking like around $6,000 is sticking in my head. And then the second year it did grow. And I think I was in the $8,000 range. I was, I think I did just over 8,000. Yeah. So you came really prepared. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember, I mean, what what are we looking at in terms of preparation there, like in terms of number of items? Do you remember? I can remember the first year. I want to say I made like a thousand cake pops, but I, I only sold a couple of hundred. It was mostly Oreos. The Oreo gift sets were the big things. I make these Oreo gift sets that with mini Oreos get for the holidays and what was great was I was getting Thanksgiving and Christmas out of it so I, because it was before Thanksgiving people were buying their Thanksgiving desserts and Thanksgiving treats for other people and the mini Oreo gift sets they're really cute because everybody gets one and I have them have them in two sizes a set of 12 and then a set of 24 and those I probably made probably 50 Thanksgiving and 50 Christmas of the set of 12, and I think 25 of the, each of the two dozen, the set of uh, 24. And then I also do six packs of Oreos. And those, God, I can't even remember. I felt like I did a million. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, do you think the reason why you did more sales the second year is because you were better prepared and knowing what people would buy? To be honest, no. I think what it was is I had a larger booth because the first year people couldn't even get into my booth. It was just like a 10 by 10. And I think I did a 10 by 20 this the second year. So people could come in and walk around. The first year people were walking away. They could not get into the booth. Not only that, the second year in uh, 2019, it was the last year for it to be in Boston. So they had a huge turnout because this was going on for like 20 30 years this was people were doing this this was their yearly ritual so they had i mean they they, these people lined up down the street to get in the door yeah no and i'd imagine you must have had help on the day of event yes i did i had two of my best friends did come in and help and my sons come in and help me unload and pack up Uh uh-huh And that actually raises an interesting point because I believe Massachusetts law doesn't even allow you to have employees to help you make the items unless they're family members, I think. Is that correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yes. So you can't have any um, hired help. And thank God my boys help me when I'm in a crunch. Like they're not making cake pops, but trust me, they'll bag and tag and and they'll help with the heavy lifting, things like that. So they're really good when it comes to that. Put, you know, putting boxes together, you know, packaging, things like that. They do. They do step up to the plate. 
I can imagine that's a big, big endeavor. And I was wondering, you said that you made like a thousand cake pops the first year and then didn't sell like 800 of them. So what happened to all those cake pops? Yeah. So what I did is because they cake pops, I could freeze them. So I froze them and I used them for my events that were the remainder of the month. Oh, okay. And took out what I needed. So you really didn't lose anything. Not really. No, there was minimal loss when it came to that. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, and I did want to talk about your Oreo sets because your Oreos do stand out to me. They're not like, I mean, you think of chocolate-covered Oreos, you might think of just dipping an Oreo in in some kind of candy melt. But your Oreos are like, they're in a mold, right? Like, what can you talk a little bit about what you do to make your Oreos? Sure. So there are different molds out there that you can use, and some of them are very decorative and some are very plain. And I always like to try to go above and beyond. So I try to decorate my Oreos with a lot of color. And if it's a plain Oreo, I try to use, say, like different colors to coordinate with whatever the theme is with different color um, drizzle or sprinkles and try to really bring them up the next level. And that's what I was saying. Like my mini Oreos, they're just the the little mini um, Oreos. And then I'll do some drizzle on them or I might put a lot of royal icing decorations on them and they're I think they're adorable I love they're my favorite when I do them for the holidays for Thanksgiving I'll have one that's like a turkey and sunflower set and then I have one that's a pilgrim set as pilgrims and little you know, Indians and some other fall decor on there and then the same with Christmas I'll do a few different um, holiday themed ones is there a certain brand of uh, mold that you're using that you like? I use a few different ones. Some of them, uh, one of the larger names is Spinning Leaf, and she does some really nice designs for her molds. Another is CK Products has some, and Life of the Party. I do, I do have a lot of them, so I'll see a lot of people use them for like little like tea cakes, but I'll use them for Oreos and different designs or sometimes I'll do something else in them say rice crispy treat or something so I try to use them as much as possible for different treats I also noticed that you do uh, printed images on Oreos how did that evolve and what are kind of the logistics of making that happen again something that I probably saw on Facebook that another chocolatier was doing and I invested in my first edible printer and tried to master that and started just really taught myself on how to make them with some help from people that I met through different groups. As a matter of fact, I was printing some last night. I couldn't figure out my edible printer wasn't working for an hour. And then it was the um, plug. It needed to be plugged, unplugged and plugged back in. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I was, um, I'm getting ready for some Valentine's Day treats. And sometimes the little edible images is just another way to make it more fun. Yeah, and also and along the same lines, the whole paint your own cookie thing. And I wanted to ask you about that because it's a pretty unique product. How does how do how do those work? So it's um a cookie that's frosted, and then there is a stencil over it, and I it, there's a certain method to swipe it with royal icing. Like usually I use black, so it will stand out, and it will be like the outline of a certain design, say a teddy bear or. Um, Santa Claus or a snowman and the little paint palettes. I use um, little fondant circles that I airbrush with color, with food coloring. And I, I add a paintbrush and instructions. And the kids can take the paintbrush, uh, add a little bit of water, use the paint palette and color the picture that is on the cookie. So it's a kind of like a BOGO. The kids get to decorate a cookie, so it's an activity, and then they get to eat their treat. They get to eat their creation. People love them. People love them. They're just a fun activity for the kids. Yeah, there are a lot of unique items that you've done. I, I've seen the advent calendar. You got this wine bottle uh, Those decoration. Are a huge Can you talk a little bit about the the? Oh, you got a smash cake, I think new smash cake brain that I saw. What are some of the unique items that you've been, you've done? So the, the brain, so what's really trending now are, it's not really a cake. It's a big candy. It was a big candy brain. 
and it came, comes with the mallet and the kids could smash it. And then inside were treats. So I put in some Halloween Oreos and cake pops and some other Halloween candy underneath it. So it was a fun activity for the kids when they got to smash it up and then they could eat the brains. And if the customer wanted, they could even put like, if they wanted say money underneath it or a special gift, as long as it fits underneath it, I could put the money in a little Ziploc bag, put it underneath and the kids could um, smash it up or whoever smash it up and their gift is underneath. So those were a fun little idea. The wine box holders, those are always a um, great seller. And I don't do cake pops or like um, bonbons or anything in there. I I put the mini Oreos in there. Again, people can buy them in advance. They have a long shelf life. And then people don't feel like they have to eat them right away either. And it's a great, you just pop it over a wine bottle. Um, You could even just tie it to a gift because it's got the hole. You can just tie it to the gift and it's a nice little add-on. And it dresses up the bottle really. I think it's really cute. And the advent calendar? Oh, yeah, the advent calendar. So I started doing those two years ago. And inside would be some mini Oreos. And I usually did about maybe a little more than half mini Oreos and then some other treats, maybe some chocolate-covered pretzels, Hershey's Kisses, um, Rolos, maybe a candy cane, a small candy cane, so that every day when the kids would um, open up their window, they would get something different. Is that something you're printing yourself or are you buying boxes online that you just stuff them with the candy? Like, how does that work? Yes, I bought the boxes online and the trays that go inside. So, yes, those are definitely something that I did online. And I want to say BK Products had them and Mod Pack was another company I believe had them along with the trays. Now, I I did see that you did a business accelerator this summer, and you said you'd taken online classes. Just, I was wondering about, you know, what that experience was like and how you've upped your business knowledge. The e-for-all, and if anybody has an e-for-all in their area, I highly suggest you apply. It's for entrepreneurs. And you do not already have to have a business established. It can even just be an idea. I applied two years ago and I got a second interview, but I did not make it into the cohort. Last year at the last minute, because COVID had just hit, I applied like right before the final hour. I applied, I had my interview, a Zoom meeting, and I ended up getting picked for the cohort. We were the first cohort that um, met. It was a 12-week course, and we all we met online for 12 weeks. We would meet twice a week, and we also had mentors, and we would have a business meeting with them once a week. Mine was on Monday evenings. And each week in class, you would learn different aspects of being a business owner, and then you would interact about it. Then they would teach you on how to make your business pitch. You had to work on your elevator pitch, like your 30-second, you know, who are you? What do you do? And then at the end, we had to do our business pitch in front of judges. And the whole purpose of this was to hopefully win some money. So it was a definite, it was a true business pitch. They gave away a scholarship and three prizes that evening. So one of the girls won, I believe it was a $500 scholarship. I came in third. I won $1,000. Congrats. Yeah, it was awesome. It, it was a very exciting, very emotional night. Now, we just had our quarterly meeting in December, and they awarded a few more monetary prizes to some of the other cohorts that evening. Now, you have obviously been doing business for many years. So did you feel like this program that you did this year was really beneficial? Like, did it teach you a lot about business that you didn't know? Or was it just uh, kind of a refresher? It was half and half because I have been in business. And sometimes because you've been in business, you have a harder time accepting other ideas. And I know that about myself. Like, you know, you think you know your business inside and out, but you really don't. It did push me because it made me one, it made me set goals to do within 12 weeks. We had to do blind surveys. They really pushed the envelope on us. One of my biggest things was 
getting that website done. I spoke about it for so long and wanting to do it. And boom, I did it. I love how my website has really worked out for me. It has cut down um, probably a lot of time for me and my customer because what I have to offer that's not custom made, it might be like the, you know, the seasonal gift set or the seasonal treat or design, say like the paint your own cookies for Thanksgiving or Halloween. I'll have a couple of those designs up and people can just order right there. They don't have to, you know, contact me, ask me how much they are, what designs do I have? It's all right there. And they pay right there online. And then they just schedule a pickup. But it did look like most stuff on your website was out of stock. <laughs> I'm sorry? Well, I said it did look like most of your stuff on your website was out of well, stock. I had to shut it down. I had to shut the orders down because I had people messaging me Christmas Eve for hot cocoa bombs. Like, no, I, I had nothing done this year for Christmas for myself and my family. Nothing. I went out and did the rest of my Christmas shopping Christmas Eve. I hit the store at 7 a.m. Like, it was bad. My Christmas tree, I didn't even decorate this year. Like, everything that is all that I do, I didn't do this year because I was literally standing at my table 12 to 18 hours a day, making mostly, like I said, three over 3,000 hot cocoa bombs. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, what? It was nuts. It was nuts. And I said this year, like, next, this year coming up, I will not do that. I can't. It really bothered me. But you got to do what you got to do when you need the money. Yeah. Well, that is that is an interesting thing is sometimes you have to learn when to say no, right? And I'm one of those people that I have a hard time saying no. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, you need, you know, 10 hot cocoa bombs. You need 15 hot cocoa bombs. Sure, sure. And I'm doing them and doing them. And like I said, at some point, I just had to shut everything down. Oh, it was brutal, brutal. And I mean, people who I don't even know were asking me for stuff. Like, you know, oh, do you have any? They're messaging me. I'm like, no, sorry, sold out. It was nuts. Well, I know some people said just that their orders went bonkers due to the whole pandemic thing. Do you think that was true for you and your business? Yes. As a matter of fact, when everything happened, I was about to do a big Easter pop-up at my cousin has a store up on the North Shore, a big fruit stand in Delhi. And I was going to do an event. So I started making a bunch of Easter treats. And then it started getting really bad. Then I was starting to get a little wigged out. And then he called me. He's like, Lisa, he goes, the board of health is down my back. He goes, I can only have like 10 people in the store, including the workers. And, you know, so we were talking, I was like, that's okay, no problem. And then I started putting them out online, you know, up online, just through Facebook and Instagram. And I had people coming from North Shore to buy Easter stuff. I was mailing stuff out. And then when everything really went, it was actually it was Easter. Somebody asked me her sister was a nurse and asked me if I could do some kind of an arrangement. So I said, sure. So I did this huge, what I was calling first responder bouquet. I did this big arrangement and I did cake pops that looked like nurses and doctors and scrubs and pops with hot beats. And then I put in like pretzels and double dogs. I just did these huge gift sets. And once again, once I started putting them out as first responder bouquets, they people were going crazy. I was sending them out. People were picking them up, dropping them off. I'm delivering to different nursing homes and stuff. It was nuts. And then one of the gentlemen in Taunton reached out to me. He wanted a chocolate-covered Oreo for every worker at Morton Hospital. So I had this great Oreo that had an edible image on it that said the real heroes are the healthcare workers. And I did over 500 of those and delivered them to Morton Hospital. It, it was crazy. Everybody just wanted things to be different or special. So they were going above and beyond. And then after that, Mother's Day kind of crept in, but then it was graduations. Everybody was adopting a senior here. Um, I was doing graduation bouquets and gift sets. And people were uh, buying them and dropping them off to seniors. You know, I would deliver them or whatever. Um, so graduation was big. And then Father's Day was big. Like, it, it just kept going. I never got a break. Well, fortunately, we're into 2021. <laughs> I know. 
I know. You can refresh and reset and maybe enjoy a break, although Valentine's Day is just around the corner. I know. No, I actually, I did after, um, after Christmas, I posted, I'm taking the rest of the year off. And I did, like, I didn't, I, I had so much to just clean up and organize and put the holiday stuff away as far as work stuff. And I just needed to decompress and scrub the candy off my kitchen floor. (laughs) It was brutal. brutal. Again, like I said, it was just nuts. But I mean, I have orders for the week. I'm already banging out my orders. So back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I did want to ask about your pricing, although you sell so many different types of things. I mean, it's a little hard to like kind of figure out like a pricing structure you got your cake pops you got cake pop sets you've got oreos you got oreo sets so maybe it would be helpful just to understand how your pricing has perhaps changed over time and what you've learned if you've increased the prices or what you've discovered as you sell the events and gotten that feedback from customers like how how has your pricing been affected oh definitely so with my cake pops they start at three dollars each and then they're going to go up by design. So the more intricate the design, the more they're going to be. If there's sprinkles on them, if it's just like one sprinkle or if it's a fancy sprinkle mix, that's going to contribute to the cost because that costs me money to do and time. So it would be $36 a dozen. As far as cookies, again, everything, it really does, like a decorated cookie, it really does depend on the size of the cookie and how detailed it is. The Oreo sets, I do like a little two-pack. Those start at $6. The set of six starts at $16. And then I also have the a dozen that start at $30. And again, if there's a lot of edible images on them, because I do a lot of corporate, that would get factored into the price. So it could go up a couple of dollars, depending on the design. Pretzels start at $2. Chocolate-covered pretzels. Marshmallows are like $3. I don't think I'm really very expensive and I try to keep my costs low, but right now it's kind of difficult because all the, right now there's a shortage on getting chocolates. So trying to find chocolate or a lot of the supplies have been out and not carrying it. So the past couple of weeks has been a little rough or I had to um, go and pick up chocolate and kind of like really stock up like Instead of just getting 50 or 100 pounds at a time, I'm coming home with a couple of hundred pounds. So a lot of out of pocket expense. Yeah, your pricing might sound a little high to somebody depending on where they live in the U.S. But I know having lived there that Massachusetts is just high prices everywhere, right? So I know that your prices are actually quite reasonable for your area. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I think so. So what are, like, if you could break it down into, in a non-COVID year, how much of your business is through pop-up events and how much of your events, or how much of your revenue is from orders, like corporate orders or party orders or whatever? I'm going to say it's about, or it was at least, 60-40. 60% was my pop-up events and 40% were custom orders. Yeah, and I did see that you have <clears throat> done some really large uh, orders, custom orders. I saw an 1,800 cake pop order on your Instagram feed. And is that the largest order you've had? Yes. They had seen me, the girls had seen me at the Christmas festival the first year I did it. So, yeah, then, then they reached out to me, um, the person in charge, and they you know, started off with, it was, oh, it's only going to be a couple of hundred. And then they were like upping it each week. They kept upping it. It turned out they the, they were doing a um, Dr. Seuss theme. And because of, you know, copyright, you, I didn't really want to do anything that was Dr. Seuss. And there's a lot of those, they wanted like, say like the cat in the hat hat. I'm like, you really can't do that for a corporate event. Not only that, it would have been just a ridiculous price to do so many of them, even if it was one for each table. But they, um, so we went with the colors colors and designs that would bring out kind of a Dr. Seuss theme. And they have the cake pops as their centerpieces for each table. So how long did it take you to prepare for that event and make all those cake pops? That was probably within within two weeks. 
So you're just popping these out like nobody's business. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I tell people my house looks like Willy Wonka gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Now, you have talked about you've done large corporate orders like that. You prepared for the Christmas, uh, the Boston Christmas Festival, and that's a huge amount of product. Do you feel like your home kitchen and home has limited your business and prevented it from moving forward in some ways? Yes. As a matter of fact, yes. Um, I'm getting to that point where, you know, I'm busting at the themes. I need help. And I can't bring in help. So it's very, it's frustrating. And at one point about, so actually it was going to be in 2019, my best friend who um, had a full-time job, does have a full-time job and had a home-based business as well. We were going to open up a bakery together. We were going to go into this together. Then we had a location and everything right in Dighton, right down the street from me. But everything fell apart. It fell through and kind of thank God because then COVID hit. So things, you know, work out for a reason. And then now I am trying to find something where I could move into for two reasons. One, it would enable me to grow the business. Two, it has taken over my house. So it's always here. And I think a lot of home bakers find that. So when you always have a table with sprinkles on it or you have a baker's rack with all kinds of treats in your kitchen 24-7, bins of chocolate. It's always there that you never get away from it. And that starts to wear and tear on you emotionally as well. As, as much as I love being able to roll out of bed and come down and do whatever if I'm really busy, it can be exhausting too because I can be in the middle of everything and like, oh, got to clean it all up to make dinner and put it back on the table. So. Um, Getting it out of the house would be a blessing, a scary blessing, <laughs> but I have been, you know, looking, trying to search for something. I don't want to do a full-fledged bakery. I don't want to be open seven days a week. I would probably do something more limited, like Thursday through Saturday with a lot of customer pickups and be able to have it as a production facility. So maybe when the pandemic lets up, then you'll... uh you'll move in that direction. Half the problem is really finding a spot that would um, work. Because believe me, I've been looking for years. And I've even looked into the commercial kitchens like the um, Hope in Maine that was in Rhode Island and Commonwealth Kitchen that's in Boston, Dorchester. And those places don't work either because you have to commit to 12 hours a month. And that costs like five to eight, $900. By the time you have to do their storage and their this and their that, and that's only 12 hours. I can do 12 hours a day in the busy season. Like in the decorating takes so long. It's the decorating part. If it's like just dropped cookies, that's one thing. Like that's a different scenario. But when you're doing detailed decorating things, it's not worth it. Even though they even said it to me, it's not worth it. Well, hopefully you'll find something and, you know, be able to take your business to the next level. It's, I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? It is. It's and it's like I said, it's it's good and it's scary because it's a it's a different world because now you have, you know, rent and payroll and it's just a different experience. But again, like I said, it's hard to grow when you can you can only do so much as one person. Well, as you think back on the last six, seven years or so, are there any memorable stories that stand out to you as you've run this business? I think really doing the first couple, my first few events, getting my feet wet, um, I really learned a lot then and what kind of events to do and what kind of events not to do. And again, that's a learning process. And then a lot of my, my most memorable events are really seeing, you know, people that I actually, people get excited to see a cake pop or a, a cake. A couple of weeks ago, I did um, some gift sets. They had Oreos and a decorated cookie. And it was just in a, a sleeve. They were in a sleeve. They were doing a drive-by uh, bat mitzvah. And the young girl was into soccer and volleyball. So I did those as Oreos. And then the sugar cookie had her name and the date of the event with uh, a soccer ball and a volleyball on it. It was really like a logo. 
put the logo and I put some um, silver sprinkles, sanding sugar around them and then tied them up with silver um, ribbon. When her mother picked them up, when my customer picked them up, she burst into tears when she saw them to the point that I started crying. Like right there, the late nights and oh my God, am I, is this going to be okay? Because I, like most people, you second guess yourself. Is this what they're looking for? And she was just so overwhelmed. She just loved them that stuff like that warms my heart. And I think that's the best feeling about doing all of this is seeing somebody get excited over something that most people would just take for granted. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for jumping on here and sharing a little bit about your story with us. Now, if somebody wanted to reach out to you, uh, how could they find you? Um, They could always reach out on Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash Lisa's pop culture, L-I-S-A-S pop culture. The same for Instagram. I'm under Lisa's pop culture. My website is www.popculturecakepops.com. You could email me at lisa at popculturecakepops.com. Or they could always call me at 781-929-7605. Yeah, it's been great talking to you. And thanks again for jumping on here and sharing a little bit about your business with us. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Forger Podcast. It's cool to see how something that started for Lisa as a therapeutic hobby has really flourished into a nice and sizable business. Now, if you are thinking about starting a cottage food business of your own, head on over to forager.com to check out your state's cottage food law. For more information about this episode, go to forager.com slash podcast slash 26. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.